Well now, thank you all for joining us for The Sopranos Podcast, Episode 4, The Social Compact. How do you get people to do what you want? That's a quote by Tony Soprano in this, Episode 4 of Season 3, Employee of the Month, written by Robin Green and Mitchell Burgess, directed by the great John Patterson. (sighs) You said it. This is a top fiver for me, just as a pinnacle of achievement in acting and writing. Uh, Together for a character, we normally start these episodes with an initial reaction. I have one. I'm going to give it in a moment. But for now, I'm Chris D'Amato. I'm Lily D'Amato. I'm Paul Mancini. And I'm Jordan Hugh. And just give Lorraine Bracco the Emmy, uh, because she destroyed this in the best possible way. It's one of the best singular episode performances I've seen in this series up to this point. Did this win her an Emmy? And it in fact did. It she did, did win yeah. the Emmy for this season, and I believe this was the episode submitted for consideration. I, uh, I, of course. That did it. Uh, so this is, I think, her not her only nomination, but I think this was her only win for the show and earned every second of it. I don't put a lot, ton of stock in award shows, but every so often they just happen to get one right, and they certainly did it here. This episode never gets easier to watch, no matter how many times you've seen it, but boy does it pack a wallop. There's a lot of great stuff in here. So let's go around go around here and just give initial thoughts and impressions on Employee of the Month, what it brings to the table, how it left you feeling, and what's up. Again, I'm sort of the novice viewer of the group. Many of these episodes I have not seen since childhood, so this was my first time revisiting this episode and the rape of Dr. Melfi. I think I've tried to forget this episode for like 20 years. I've always remembered that it happened. And Sopranos conversations do tend to come back to this episode, where people usually say something along the lines of, oh, except that one where Dr. Melty gets raped, or that was just too hard to watch, or something like that. And and I agree. Uh, but also, the subject matter is handled in a way where um, it is really unflinching, and sort of this really courageous performance by this actress, so it's something worthy of our attention and certainly our discussion. Absolutely. Uh, This one is always where I like to distinguish favorite from best. Hmm. I watch this one as few times as humanly possible. It's a rough one, um, but it feels really real. Just the way people react watching her go through it and how people react around her and then also everything else that happens in this episode too so it's it's a it's a tough one for sure Hmm. absolutely it's one that i certainly think is top form for the series but unlike other episodes where if i came out here to new jersey to visit chris and lily and we had a nice dinner or something it's possible that we would throw on an episode of the sopranos for our delight this would not be one of them. No. It just wouldn't. It's not that kind of episode. Um, it's far too brutal, of course. It's, in many ways, the most powerful episode the show has ever done. Because I think there is, there are few, perhaps no characters, that I quite identify with in the way that I do with Melfi, having both an affection and an abiding respect for her. There's also no crime like this, really. Um, this particular kind of violation where she's raped and... Then, of course, the humiliation and, I, I guess, the reiteration of trauma that comes out of the miscarriage of justice. Yeah. I think another factor for Melfi, I'm not posing this as a critique, but I think 
not naive, but I would say Jennifer has these blind spots about these particular elements in the world. Jennifer, though smarter in a lot of ways, much better educated than, say, Carmela Soprano or Rosalie Priel or Adriana Laserva, I'd say has not seen as much of a certain kind of brutality in the world up close. A show that Lily and I both love is uh, Six Feet Under, a character named David in season four goes through something similar that we would never wish on him, but in some way is important for the trajectory of the character going forward. So this is that definitive episode for Jennifer Melfi, and as you, as you guys have all mentioned, Lorraine Bracco just uh, really steps up for it. And we talk all the time about the brutality and the cold, harsh realities that make up this world of the show that it lives in and how people are constantly victimized, taken advantage of, their lives are destroyed, their businesses are eaten up, they're left in ruins and tatters and there's blood and violence and murder. And yet this feels worse in a way because this is such a random, this is random cold fate, man. This is just one of those things that you can't account for in life that sometimes malevolent forces outside of your control just it force themselves on you and the fact that it happens of all people to dr melfi just as an extra sucker punch not that any character in the show should go through a rape necessarily but the fact that it's our moral center the person who hasn't had such exposure to the realities of of the world and the brutality that's out there it's rough it's rough to watch on multiple levels but (sighs) It's great drama, man. Well, this is so good. Yeah, what's interesting is, you know, this world has very clear rules and guidelines. And as we saw in Boca with the soccer team, and as we're seeing now, rape isn't a part of this life in the Sopranos world. Mm. You know, the sexually, there is consent or it's not okay. Right? Yeah. Now, I'm not making a statement of the mob outside of the world, but it's made pretty clear that this entire operation believes that rape is wrong and wouldn't be doing it outside there's, well there, there's a the reason family. there's a reason in pr- that that's a thing in life too sure. not that not oh, that, of course I'm I sure, just didn't want to put a blanket I'm sure there are over. I'm sure there are mob people in the past that have committed rape um, of course or human trafficking or that kind of thing. But there's a reason in prisons they segregate the sex offenders because that is like the lowest of the low. You go into prison for rape, you're a chomo, they have to separate you because the real criminals, the gangsters, the the thieves, the murderers, they'll fuck you up. You know what I mean? So they're, they're, this is like a base level of criminality that even these elements won't accept. So you're, you're dead on about that. And there's also, um, there isn't a whole lot of random acts of violence. You get in bed with the mob and it doesn't go well, you'll be murdered. But Tony's not going out on the street murdering innocent people, right? They're all fairly complicit in their decisions, in the life, in the schemes, right? Whereas this is a pure, and same with David and Six Feet Under, these are pure random acts of violence, and they're frightening because they're real and they do happen. And it's 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 very well said, Lil. You you get in bed with Tony Soprano. Sometimes you, you're gonna get bit. Big Pussy knew the stakes when he started snitching, but this kind of thing it happens all the time in our society. Just a random craziness that hits you. So I'm excited to get into it. 
on a dramatic level. So let's let's start from the top here. The episode we got a couple different storylines going on here. Obviously, this is the the Melfi storyline is 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 our plot A. We have the situation going on with Janice. We have Jackie Jr. and Ralphie, and Ralphie being passed over for promotion. It's all in here. But the episode starts with a call from Arena, picking up kind of right where the last episode drops us off. We mentioned in our last episode that they leave a lot of threads dangling. You're kind of waiting for the next episode. They start right back up with this uh, this Arena and the Russians. For someone who just said she was engaged and seemed like, she, why can't we be friends? She calls Tony at the house. Very lucky Carmella didn't answer the phone. Tony, can you get that? Uh, he sits up. It's so funny. He says, I can smell the vanilla stoli from here. She has a <laughs> bottle of vanilla stoli next to He's her. He's right. He's dead right. Even Don't... about the flavor. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, uh, you know, he knows what she drinks. Don't call here again, he tells her. Uh, tense start. This, but I, I love that even though he's broken it off, this still looms. And it's still like a potential threat Ooh. to the domestic tranquility of the Soprano household. A taboo about sex being trespassed upon. Not mm-hmm. a mistake. Yeah, come back. Mm-hmm. And I suppose we all should have known we were going to be in for an episode with uh, some misery when we cut to Richard in <laughs> Melfi's kitchen. First shot of Richard is his hands wielding a knife, which he holds throughout a lot of the scene. We'll come back to Richard's hands a few times in this episode. But also, like, domesticated. Yeah. Right? Like, he's condescending to Melfi, but he's chopping the vegetables. And during the... She says to... I think the button on the scene is, I'm going to pink slip you if you don't get that chicken in the oven. Yeah. So there's something funny, uh, irritating, but also weirdly impotent about his bullshit with her. He's very into this Italian-American thing. I mean, we know this from the last episode we saw him in, the Italian-American anti-defamation lobby. And he has this... This is a direct follow-up to the conversation they have. I believe it's... I want to say it's down neck that this is a, that Melfi and Richard from season one. I'm not. Uh, I'm embarrassed that I'm blanking on exactly which episode it is, but there is an episode in season one where Richard has this discussion about Tony. He tells him, you know, you're going to get down to good and evil. He's evil, so he's still on this. They've gotten back together, or at least they're seeing each other. We don't know. I don't think they got like remarried or anything, but they're kind of they're fanning some old flames. They're hanging out. Making dinner and uh, he's on it. Like when you know what what's you know get rid of this guy. He's dangerous. Any thoughts on this and and the return of Richard and the or the tragic grandeur of Al Pacino? <laughs> yeah, I, I am trying to see Richard through Melfi's eyes, through Jennifer's eyes, because from an audience perspective, he's not a particularly likable character. Yeah, but he's intelligent and he's eloquent. So you try to listen to him a bit and to try to see what maybe she sees in him. Unfortunately, I just end up really disappointed, uh, sort of in Richard overall. Mm. Well, it sounds like Melfi had the same journey, right? Because she says in the episode, you know, that's what I get for marrying somebody 10 years my senior, mm. right? There was a, prote- you know, with older men, there's a protection, there's the... Financial security. Financial security, the daddy thing, right? So I think that as a younger woman, she probably really liked that. And as they continue to grow, and he's much older... They grow apart, right? Because he is a pretty kind of a dolt, you know? Yeah, dolt is such a good word for him. <laughs> it, you know, it, part of it is certainly the age difference, the, as you said, the sort of this patriarchal protection that he has of her. I just, 
I don't even see, like, the sex appeal of him, really. I'm not insulting the actor. I'm I'm sure he's a lovely, attractive man in real life. But the actual (laughs) character, Richard, is just kind of a fuddy-duddy. And you want someone more exciting for Jennifer. Because she's, we know she has this sexy, fun side to her that Tony awakens for her a bit. And you'd want her to be with someone more like him. Which is why these characters of Richard and Tony are kind of weighed opposite each other in this episode. Well, that may very well, you may very well hit the nail. I mean, we don't, we only know what we see or hear, Right. Right. May very well be a large part of the reason why their marriage didn't quite work out. And maybe they, they, they. There's a lot of relationships that yeah. have a certain spark, but not that spark. You know what I mean? So I just we, we only can see what we're shown right. in the show, right? We are never shown a great relationship between these two ever. Yeah. No. Uh, and I'm just extrapolating. I don't think Richard's dynamite in the sack. No, and they produced a terrible son. Uh, <laughs> truly terrible. Truly terrible. Oh, we were hard on Jason, but yeah, he sucks. Oh no, fuck that kid. Well, and if we are, and uh, uh, presumably, I mean, he could, in bed, I he, he's about as timid as he is everywhere else. Given that Melfi's insight is that actually this is about his own self confidence or lack thereof. Yeah. Um, the reason I don't like Richard is that every time he comes on screen, I have to bring out an online dictionary. <laughs> I, I have a film degree from Hofstra. I don't know what Alexa fucking thymic means. So yeah, I have to look that shit up. You think the synergy escapes me? Fuck off. <laughs> fucking guy. Uh, so I actually have no idea what Alexa thymic is. What is that? Do Alexa thymia is a, which I looked up after, <laughs> um, is a process of not being, it's, it's a difficulty with processing and defining one's own emotional, uh, one's feelings. Uh. So Thank get, God there's a term for that. Right. <laughs> um, that's so that is Tony experiencing the alexithymia. Right. Okay. There is something I'm, I've tracked through this episode, so I'll be bringing it up in some ways scene to scene, but there's a, a big theme of this episode of men feeling better about themselves at the, at the sake of women. Mm. And I think this conversation is the very first part of it, if not starting with Irina with, I know exactly what you're drinking and... You know, don't I know everything? I'm smart. You're dumb. Well, then in this one, you get, um, I'm not sure that if Melfi were a man in this industry, that so many people would be talking to her about Tony being her patient. That's an interesting point. The way people, both Richard and Dr. Cutherberg, talk to her about Tony, a little less with Cutherberg because it is her, he's her therapist, but... The way people give her a hard time about treating Tony, I don't think... I think if she... I'm speculating. But I think that if she were a man, it would be seen as kind of a noble challenge. But for her, it's dangerous. You shouldn't do it. It's not worth your time. When she's excellent at her job. Totally agree. If Now, of course, there is a... There are actual scientific reasons where, why talk therapy isn't good for possible sociopaths, but I still don't think that that would be such a concern among males. And so there's that, that's the first tracking of this. That's interesting. I hadn't considered bringing, that, but that, that makes a lot of sense. Well, there's a reason you guys brought me on for this one, right? <laughs> <laughs> that actually illuminates something that I felt was unfair later in the episode when Melfi is... Cons- <laughs> It's like, 
I don't know, should you walk through a garage to get to your car? I was like, what? Doesn't a human being need to do that? <laughs> but she's like, it's like, oh, well, no, you got to get somebody to go with you. You can't be walking around on your own. I'm like, I, this isn't. Paul, that's something w- girls, women are told all the time. Yeah. Have somebody all the time. Be careful walking down the street. Don't go here at night. Go. Don't go. Don't do this. Don't wear that. Don't speak like this. Don't fuck this person. Right? Pardon my language. And and so that seemed very normal. I can't tell you how many times I've been told things like that. Sure. Yeah. It's unfortunate. It's, it's just, there's nothing else to say about that. It's terrible. But you're correct. And there's some good banter here. I like when she's like, condescend to me. It gets me so hot. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, well, because there's nothing like being condescended to. Without a nice, like, rapport back. Right. Sho- really shoving it in that person's face, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Then we get the next therapy scene. Jordan, you hit the nail on the head last uh, episode. Tony is asked for his log, and he's like, my, my log? <laughs> <Does Yeah. he> re- <laughs> this was a guy who asked for more from Melfi, more from therapy, because what are we doing here? And she says, okay, well, you know, let's start to write down some of these things, make some of these associations, let's, let's create some patterns. Mm. He has not done his homework. No. Nope. Uh, no surprise. Where do people find the time? You know? <laughs> I mean, what a dick. cut to me at therapy, everybody. <laughs> oh, was that a thing? Was oh, that... absolutely. It's a cognitive behavioral therapy thing gotcha. where you track your your emotions with your behaviors, and then they tr- you try to go back and look for patterns, uh, okay. right? Mm-hmm. So, And I am very infamous for not doing my homework. A theme my whole life, really, truly. <laughs> so, you know. Tony I, promised. Oh, I empathize with Tony in that moment for sure. Of course, of course. <laughs> yeah, I do. I do my therapy homework. I don't. I didn't do school homework very well, so I, I get it too. What do you think? Way. You're better than me. How <laughs> <laughs> oh, dare you? Uh, so she asks him, "Are you happy?" And he doesn't really have an answer. He's kind of stalling and and like uh, work working around the fact that he just didn't do his homework. He promises to have a list next week. She mentions the idea of bringing Carmela in. That's something that immediately is intriguing to get Carmela and Melfi in the same room. I think this episode, other than in college, when she finds out Melfi's a woman, the episode college, uh, this is the first like conversation over the phone later this episode that these two women have that isn't weird or hostile. So that you know, the idea of bringing Carmela into therapy that intrigues me as an audience member. I want to see that, but Tony's like, I don't think that's, uh, I don't think that's going to happen for the best. I think right, right. And she tells him, you know, you're not trying. And Tony does some classic avoidance here. This is a difficult subject matter. The conversation they had must have upset him in a way that he doesn't really want to go there. So he brings up some, I don't want to call them trivial concerns about AJ, but it's an avoidance. He's avoiding the subject because he didn't do his homework and he he maybe just doesn't want to go there this week. So he brings up something with AJ and we kind of take the shot off of her sigh into the next scene. Mm -hmm. So... Nice dissolve into the scene with Elliot. Very clear here why I think this works out this way and why actually it works in a way to have Elliot as a therapist, even though he Mm -hmm. often leaves something to be desired. I think it's more a forum where she can have this verbal meditation Mm -hmm. and she can talk these things out. Interesting thing here, because we we know that uh, Elliot, in addition to Richard, also has kind of a, I would call, extracurricular interest in... Uh, Melfi's mystery mob patient. 
So she drops the name here. This is kind of, they left that, that's a big moment in the scene. She slips out Tony Soprano and, and stops herself. And he's kind of surprised by that. And he drops the, so if you were just some button man, you, you wouldn't be treating him. And she just lamp please Elliot with the terminology already. <laughs> so it's out there. It's Tony Soprano. And very much this kind of older male we've talked about Elliot Kufferberg maybe he was like a teacher of hers or some kind of mentor before they you know that like, seems to be yeah so another older man in her life urging her hey you've done what you can you've medicated him you've gotten him out of the immediate crisis send him on to a behaviorist it's time and so she's now getting this from the man in her life at the moment and from Elliot so the pressure is on and Tony is at the point where he's not you know Yes, it feels like this is right at this point in the therapy. What what else can Melfi really achieve? Although they're on the cusp of something, but Tony's not doing the work. So things are kind of coming at her from all directions here. Cut to Janice with a fucking metal detector in the basement of the house. <laughs> good, I'm shaking my head, listeners. Uh, just, good Lord. It feels like every Janice scene at this point is like you start with just a groan and a head shake. What yeah. has happened to Janice? <laughs> Something she will wonder herself by the end of this episode. <laughs> she started off this show as a, a you know, in, in season two, beginning of season two, as someone who was a little bit ridiculous, but like you kind of got it. And it's just, boy, it's escalated. Mm-hmm. It has just, it's like uh, unhinged at this point. Mm-hmm. She's in the basement with a metal detector. Right? She's stolen a woman's leg. What is going on with Janice? <laughs> right. And Tony berates her. I love the, you know, he's like, you know, and he's prompted to this action by the phone call. This is direct. This is great writing. Cause and effect. Arena's calling me at my house. Don't mess with the Russians. <laughs> he mocks her. He calls her right out. Good luck finding the lost Dutchman's gold mine. <laughs> Very funny. I have work to do. He calls her out on the records. She's talking about some video, the World War II generation and their music. Get the fuck out yeah, of she's here. She's going to produce a video. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Well, remember, she has a tremendous visual sense, Jordan. Oh, yes. Right. <laughs> I'm sure her videos are just wonderful. God almighty. I, just, I guess I can't tell if... <laughs> is it that the writers are doing a disservice to the character, or is she just in such a bad emotional place that she is just spinning out all over the place? And it's all of her worst habits are coming together. I, I don't know. Uh, I don't know that I agree with you that... Like, something's oh, I'm just, changed. I'm just wondering. Oh, you think no, this is I always know. the case? She's done nothing but scrape for money and scam for money. And Svilana calls her out on it. Like, and Tony, too. From about the very this, first time The leg her. is about the records because she's going to sell them. This isn't yeah. When we first meet her, she's on disability for the state of Washington for carpal tunnel. I mean, she's for right, sure. Right. Yeah, so... For me, this all kind of still seems par for the course. She's just less focused. Mm-hmm. Could right? I, just, I agree. Could I just frame it out in terms of this episode, just with the, the storylines happening here, and I'm going to use a big umbrella term, trauma. Right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So certainly the much more serious trauma is what Melfi goes through. Janice gets beaten up. She gets a couple ribs broken, I think. Maybe wrist gets busted. And she's been through this thing. But she brought herself, and I really feel like, in a way, her non-realization is almost like the answer on the other end of what 
the hard-fought truth that Melfi finds, where even Melfi discovering that she has a dark impulse is heroic in a way because she can say, I understand it, whereas everything, including uh, Janice's for forgiveness of Svetlana, is self-serving bullshit. Hmm. Um, so the realization and the, the non-realization is kind of the way I look at it in this episode. There's also a big... Astute. There's also a big theme in this episode of, of decision-making for good versus evil, right? And we'll see that visually with the black and white motif going on in this episode. Mm. But you've got Janice going through decisions of good and evil, right? And where that gets her. Uh, it is evil to steal somebody's leg. I think that that's... <laughs> oh, certainly. Especially for money you might get. Then you've got Jackie... Right? There's that storyline of should Jackie join the family and basically Jackie's deciding between Ralphie's opinion of him and Tony's opinion of what he should do and how he should proceed. And then of course you've got Melfi making the decision of I make one phone call to Tony Soprano and there's justice. Mm. And will she do that? Right? So the, we're seeing this theme throughout the episode, and, and so J they're all making decisions on a different level, as you mentioned, with the trauma. Absolutely. Speaking of Jackie, you mentioned him. The next scene we get is Jackie and Ralphie at Vesuvio. They're having a bonding. This is a more more kind of, I don't want to use the term loosely, but father-son kind of imagery here. He's dating Roe. They don't get along because Jackie's a prick. Ralphie is probably doesn't really care much for Jackie either but they're it's they're just kind of like hey maybe we should bond because <laughs> we're we're in the same kind of family now so I like that uh, he calls him out like dating and Ralph is like don't get fucking filthy about it <laughs> <laughs> and um, they don't really get anywhere it's kind of like a uh, you know they're not gonna bond it's not going well it's awkward Ralphie doesn't know how to reach him he's utterly disinterested in this dinner with Ralphie so I don't know if it's necessarily strategic on Ralphie's part or if it just kind of happens this way, but they bond. In the next scene, I wrote, this is the only way to bond with this little asshole. Uh, Ralphie, <laughs> Ralphie takes him along on a stop. It's some kind of dispute over the roots, the garbage roots, and this guy's not paying Ralphie a, a user fee for these, uh, these, these stops. And he, he has to he insults him, roughs him up. And the guy pull well the guy pulls out a bat and then you know Ralphie and Jackie rough him up right and he's showing him the ropes this is like a t uh, this is a tutor and and pupil scene he's you know, hit it right in the bread basket introduced him to his desk good kid he pulls out the money Jackie's this is the first smile we see on Jackie you know in a little bit so thoughts on this sequence Ralph and Jackie's relationship uh, this is probably the most of Ralphie we've seen uh, so far so let's talk about it I say this with some regret I I like Ralph. In this sequence. Yeah. Well, this is part of the problem with Ralph, right? It's actually, <laughs> he's quite charming yeah. and quite fun and quite funny. Yes. Uh, but there's something very unsettling about the character, and, mm -hmm. and it's perfectly cast. Because Joe Pantoliano has this cuteness to him. Mm. But Ralphie isn't cute. He's actually very sinister. Uh, and it's always right below the surface of what is going on. So this uh, uh, tutoring session, which you really nicely put it, that, that is what it is. I'm showing you just... The bare basics of being a gangster, a collection agent, right? Mm -hmm. And these are the kinds of things you can do, and hey, this is pretty fun, right? Mm. He's found the thing that's going to spark this kid. Ralph is also positioning himself, I guess we don't know deliberately yet, and I can't say too much, but like, hmm, 
I am dating, I'm romantically seeing the, the wife of the uh, deceased boss of this family. I am now in a position where I could mentor the son. There's some wheels turning here. Mm-hmm. And Ralph is a schemer. Yes. And he is much more intelligent than Richie April. Well, we're learning things about him. He's much smarter than yeah. Richie. He's a smart guy. We find out a couple scenes later, we'll talk in specifics when we get there, but he's a good earner. He's one of the best earners right. Tony's got. And even though we didn't see him as a physical presence in the second season, uh, we have to imagine, we have to extrapolate that, uh, you know, Ralphie was able to watch what went wrong with Richie and might be able to say, I might be able to do some things where he couldn't, mm-hmm. right? And he's certainly filling that slot for us in this season, at least in terms of the entity in the narrative. Well said. I am also a fan of Ralphie, and I, I kind of almost see him at this point as a uh, sort of a very yeah like a sinister clown almost uh, he's he's got something kind of clownish but he's also well dressed and well coiffed but he's got a real kind of odd smile to him he's he's got he's 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 definitely someone to watch uh, as we go forward he's fucking obsessed with gladiator <laughs> um, the other thing there's a couple things about this whole se- I mean the whole sequence is great their dinner is really funny the gym huh and then he takes him. Uh, they bond over the violence, as you said. Mm-hmm. Um, Ralphie uses a sexual taboo to provoke the guy. Yeah. Not an accident. Yep. None of this is an accident. This is another thing we're seeing in this episode. Lily already mentioned Boca, which is the spiritual cousin to this episode. And there's a, there's a huge difference here, which is that the gangsters know nothing about this particular violation mm. that someone close to home has been hurt in this way and we should exact vengeance. So unlike Boca where they're musing on how this guy's a scumbag and he deserves our outlaw justice, what we're seeing here is the gangsters doing what they more normally do. Collections. This guy's holding out on me. I'm going to beat him up. We're exploiting public works projects. We're corrupting today's youth. It's that juxtaposition. And the imagined image of what a gangster is is something different. Melfi comes to it later on. It might be more like what Ralphie wants to think of them as, like gladiators, but... It's not really what they do day to day. Mm. What they do day to day is exploit people, use people. Amen, brother. New character alert. I always make a little star on my uh, sheet when we get to a new character. Ginny Sack. I love Ginny Sack. <laughs> that hair, the look. She's she's so the real. Perfect. The real McCoy. She's she's I love the her. she's the authentic article, folks. That is she a is. that is a Jersey housewife. Uh, and uh, yeah, so she we meet her. This is Johnny's Johnny Sack's wife, and we find out that uh, Johnny has moved to Jersey. Little Sopranos geography; they don't quite articulate this uh, in the show. But not only has John moved to Jersey, which gives Tony reason to say, "Wait a minute, what is this?" I mean, we're friendly, but this is my territory, you know. And Johnny has to assure him in the uh, in the great room that, uh, you know, hey, th- there's our family and there's Soprano family. I have no intention of stepping in. I'm just living here. The schools, Ginny's cousins, her sisters, whatever. So Tony has reason to pause here. But not only did Johnny move to Jersey, but this his house is seven minutes from Tony's, by the way. It's in his fucking backyard. Mm-hmm. It's not even in Jersey. It's right in his neighborhood. So... That's something to consider. It's arguably a nicer house than Tony's. Certainly sits in better property. Or yeah. on better property. Mm-hmm. Up to this point in the show's chronology, functionally, hasn't Johnny Sack always been in Tony's corner, fundamentally, like he's usually helping Tony yeah. Yeah. with something? And here it's all still uh, very polite, but Tony is tense about it. Yeah. You should have fucking told me. I yeah. would be tense, too. I actually think Tony's completely in his rights here. Mm-hmm. This yeah. is very suspicious. Yeah. yeah. Something's happening. Yep. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, and these guys have... It's thus far. It's been like Johnny Sack will pop in once or twice a season. He's very cool with Tony. Usually very helpful and pragmatic. They have a good. You get a sense they have a good relationship. A good professional. Maybe it's a little personal. These guys seem like they get along. But yes, this is odd, and this is definitely a breach in the culture that a boss of an underboss of another family moves into your area. Right, and the thing that Tony is stuck on is totally what I would be stuck on, which is just like, we're friends, you could have called me and been like, hey, I'm, mm. I'm moving to Jersey, I hope that's not weird. You know, yeah. not that the first time we would discuss it is when you're seeing my house. Yeah. Right. Yep. I, I just sidebar the line, great room, I don't see what's so great about it. <laughs> any time, any mention of a great room, yeah. Chris D'Amato says exactly that line, <laughs> yeah, 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 every, without fail, and now me too, yep. so... There it is. <laughs> so yeah, Tony takes it in. You're going to show me the rest of this shithole. Very funny line. It's a gorgeous house. And uh, then we get to this meeting with Ralphie. This is kind of what Ralphie's been waiting for, even though he doesn't know it and doesn't like the outcome. But we fi- first of all, we find out a little about him. He's got a sense of humor. He tells a joke, makes Furio laugh. The joke doesn't translate. You use it on your paisans. Again, very charming, very kind of outgoing, and, and seems like a guy that, uh, you know, for just roughing up somebody, it's, he's oddly likable too. And he sits down, again, well-dressed. He's got like a turtleneck, a nice jacket, a little handkerchief in there. He's looking good. He's And Tony, uh, well, another little info they drop. I want to put a, a button in it, but just something to know about this guy. He has a previous marriage and a kid named Justin. Mm-hmm. Just uh, something to remember, that he had a first marriage and he has a son. And uh, Tony tells him that uh, he's making Gigi captain of the uh, crew. He's basically putting in his guy Gigi uh, as head of the April crew uh, to replace the now gone Richie. Ralphie doesn't take this well. Uh, He's embarrassed. I eat dinner at your house. It's awkward for him. He really thought he had it in the bag. He was ready for it. He says in episode two, I'm going to turn up my hearing aid so I don't miss it. And... He's excited and he thinks he's going to be this captain and Tony just shuts him down. He's not, uh, Tony doesn't trust him. He has bad tendencies. I sympathize. I have him too. But uh, bottom line is Ralphie's been kind of putting in the groundwork for this job and now he doesn't have it. Mm-hmm. So something to keep an eye on. Any other thoughts on this? Yeah, it's just, a, I think, a, in a good way, I think an obvious plot switch has been flipped. Yeah. Right. Of being like, I was passed over for a promotion. Mm-hmm. I was really worthy. And it just furthers our sense that there's something wrong with the guy. Yeah. That Tony would not see him as the obvious choice. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's just, it's building this rep with Ralphie where it's actually a really fascinating relationship for an audience to have with a new character where it's just like, wow, this guy seems great, but there's something off about him. And now that is officially confirmed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very well said. Tony turns his phone off during busy season in the next therapy session. (laughs) And uh, she tells him about behavior modification therapy. And Tony has, he seems to have this reaction of, because we've talked about this before on the show even, that there are different kinds of therapy. And behavior modification is a different thing. Cognitive behavioral is a different thing. Psychodynamic. There's various approaches to therapy and... Anytime she mentions maybe moving this up the chain a little bit, he said he feels as if he's being pawned off on you. Want you want to send me to someone else, and he kind of chastises her. I ask you to get serious, and when it gets difficult, you try to pawn me off on somebody else. And she says, "I'm just, I'm just, you know, kind of like smooths it over. I'm just mentioning it. I'm just mentioning it. You know, something to consider." And then the sequence. Mm, this is 
when everything kind of really gets ugly and turns south here. She's on the phone with Richard in the stairwell. Passes a guy in a red hat on her on the way up. It's this dark, starkly black and white, lit and colored stairwell. She's dressed oddly, curiously. She's dressed in a kind of a white business suit. She's always in charcoal or dark gray or black. Walking down, Richard is giving her a hard time about Tony again. I'm going to let him go. It's just going to take time. I brought up the therapy. Yes, kind of yesing him, yesing him. Listen, I'm losing you. I'll call you later. She loses signal. It's an underground garage. Bad, 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 bad. Walks to her car, and this guy grabs her. I don't need to describe it more graphically than it was depicted. Uh, very brutal. Very tough to watch. They don't spare you a moment of this. And um, she fights a little bit, steps on his foot, runs, calls for help, grabs her, pulls her in the stairwell, and uh, she's raped for a, a considerable amount of screen time. Well acted, obviously. I mean, well shot. It's brutal. It's 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 difficult. And um, we get her in the hospital post rape, and her knees very busted up. And Richards comes in. So let's let's break it down. Let's talk about this and how it was portrayed, and dip into the aftermath. Uh, I'll just briefly say that we've all seen enough of The Sopranos to know that, much like the filmmaker we were discussing a few minutes ago, Tarantino, there's sometimes an ironic quality, often a funny quality, to elements, including even murder. Very good that they steered way clear of that. Nothing like that. This is shot pretty simply. Mm -hmm. um, it's shot fairly close up through the bars on the steel stairs. Really felt suffocating, mm -hmm. as does what they call the high stupid shot with the high angle of her terribly exposed on the stairs mm -hmm. afterwards. And to me, emblematic of Melfi is her seated in the office with her legs crossed. Yeah. And when she, in her shock and shame, is pushing her knees together, it's still pretty shocking to behold. What do we make of the choice? And I'm, this is not a criticism. I just want to put it out there for discussion to show the whole thing. Because I'm sure there, there had to have been somebody out there that felt like this was gratuitous at the time. Is it gratuitous? They could have cut as it was started and we would have gotten the point, right? So they, they, but they really linger on it. They show the whole thing. They get some very simple but very effective angles. We see that high stupid shot of her. It's very powerful. It's, it's, it's painful. And then we cut to her in the hospital. So what do we make of the choice? Well, the word gratuitous, for, for a critic to look at the scene and say that it is gratuitous would, would have to mean for me that that critic believes that at least in part the purpose of the scene was to titillate in some way. There's been a lot of criticism, especially more recently with shows like Game of Thrones and things like that, where rape is used as a plot point, and the uh, accusation that's levied at that show would be that, well, this rape, you showed too much of it, the plot point was used to titillate, it was unnecessary, whatever. I don't, I don't find the scene gratuitous. It is long, and it's uncomfortable and disgusting, but that is what creates the realism in it, and that is what generates the horror. Yeah. Right. Uh, that that the encounter feels so real, and uh, and for the first time, and I think really the only time that I've seen rape depicted in film, I felt all of the repulsion and the violation that goes along with that act, not as just a bit of titillation or as a plot point, or know? even as a set piece. Right. You as know, a, as a set piece. Done. It was just it was just the horrible thing that it really is, and it it changes you as a viewer. Mm -hmm. I think it's important. I, I 
I think it's important to be that uncomfortable. Mm. Uh, I think the realism is important to show. And now I, I do like to acknowledge that, um, or I would prefer to acknowledge on here that I have been fortunate enough to be on the lighter end of the Me Too movement. So I'm speaking as somebody who has thankfully not been through such brutality. But there is so much talk about rape. There's so much, you know, just a lot of blaming, a lot of what is it, you know, and this really slaps you in the face with it. And it's hard. I, it, you put it perfectly, Jordan. It changes you as a viewer, but I hope it changes people as a human being as well to watch that, mm. to watch just how brutal it is because we still have politicians who are claiming that possibly the victim could be enjoying or any other atrocity we don't need to mention here having to do with the subject. Sometimes it's it's important to just look horror in the face. Why else would there be Holocaust museums, right? You have to know so that you don't pursue that in the future or don't allow it or help prevent. You have to know what the horror is. It, I think it's also important that we as the audience endure the trauma to as much a degree as we can with Melfi because it also makes the climax of the episode more powerful. And we'll talk about that when we get there. But we are in the shoes where we had to endure it with her as the viewer. And so when she's confronted with this decision later on to tell Tony or not to tell Tony, we all saw it happen. We want her to tell Tony. I mean, I think that's what most of the audience is like, fuck yeah, sick him right on this guy. You know where he works? Yeah. So uh, it drives home. It says it's that's why this is such a powerful thing because the rape scene in the episode. It's to talk about these other shows where rape scenes have been criticized. This only works to develop her character. It's not. This doesn't happen to her to enhance someone else. Right. This is all this, about her. This doesn't become Tony's revenge plot. Right. right. Yeah. Well, and we're about to see a bunch of people try to make it about themselves, too. So yes. Yes. it's um, that hospital scene is yes. yeah. almost as hard to watch. Oh, yeah. We see what she's just been through. And it starts with Richard and this Rossi, the Italian name, right? Then, then uh, her son comes in with a stupid barred backpack. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> understandably I wrote understandably angry but Richard's right absolutely not helpful not what she wants to hear needs to hear yes but at the same time he's just as guilty who the fuck cares what his last name is you're bringing that up now yeah you're you're grandstanding now yeah really the entire and this is what happens is um you know you feel so horrible for the victim possibly your wife your mother someone very close to you and you're feeling trauma as well, but none of them are actually honoring her trauma mm -hmm. right in that moment. I found the act from both of them disgusting, both well-meaning. And understandable. But, and understandable. If, my, if someone not hurt my mother like that, I'd be fucking furious too. I'd want to kill the guy. And I, I would I urge it. you not to do that in the room oh, with course, her. Right? Of course. So right, right, right. Yes. It just, it doesn't, it doesn't, none of it helps. And that's what I mean by the scene being almost as almost as difficult as watching the rape itself is watching these two men try to take control over a situation that they can't take control over. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. The um I remember watching this scene being pretty grateful at the moment anyway that these two women were in there, one of them maybe a nurse practitioner, the other one the detective, both taking on a sort of Melfi esque gentleness mm. with the the gentleness that now Jennifer needs in this moment. And then Richard comes in, the thing with the Italian name, the kid comes in, he's howling at the moon. And they both sort of, particularly Richard, they admonish the kid like, your mother doesn't need this right now. But by the end of the episode, both Richard and Jennifer will actually understand that feeling of impotent rage. Because yeah. sooner or later, the, the question of justice is going to fall out completely. And then, then everybody's going to think that the, mother, that the uh, animals out there are winning. Yeah. So... They do it in a very appropriate way because the humor is always grounded in reality. But there's a couple laughs in the next scene to give the audience a little bit of a of a break. <laughs> Where uh, Tony is, uh, Melfi's calling to cancel her appointments. She calls Carmela. The story is a car accident. That's the you know, what she's telling her patients. Richard's there in the room. You know, must be some marriage. Tony in the background. Who ate the last piece of cake? Uh, you know, again, grounded in real things that are happening. And, and, you know, so Tony's upset about that. I also think it's hilarious that the options in the fridge at that time were the last piece of cake that someone ate, and that's not there, so he has to grab celery. Is there a less satisfying food (laughs) to eat when you want cake (laughs) than a celery stalk? So he's just kind of crunching on that. Carmela seems a little, you know, just kind of dreary, average day. And uh, he's... um, talking about her he talks about he gives him that whole spiel about the knee and scars on the knee they never heal right ask joe namath <laughs> says no thanks i think is that what she says to that very funny we see melfi making a call after this paul and i i think this is one of our favorite lines in the whole show just because it's so fucking funny Kai, uh, what is it uh, uh, hello kate okay i know talking on the phone upsets you <laughs> But I have to cancel our next appointment. What other show can accomplish exactly what happens in this scene? Going from so brutal to just like so funny. Yeah. You know. No one. Yeah. No one can. No one. no one has accomplished this. You get some funny bits in Breaking Bad, but after a while, it gets really, ser- truly, just serious, right? Mad Men's not super funny. I'm thinking of Six Feet Under doesn't really break like well, that. Well, Mad Men's got a dark sense of humor, but not not, cu- not coupled with this kind of trauma. That's what I'm talking when about. When Mad Men has a serious episode, it's just a serious episode. When I'm right. telling people to watch The Sopranos for the first time, and I'm always shocked that there are people who need to watch The Sopranos for the first time, I say, you know, because I'm generally someone that in my off time likes some lighter fare, um, I can, of course, handle the great, the great dramas, but I'm never in the mood for them. Yeah. The Sopranos is something I could watch any time. Of course not this episode. But The Sopranos is something that is both so poignant and serious and funny at the same time where you forget you're watching a drama. And I just, I can't think of another show that accomplishes this. I think you're right. I think it might be the show's greatest power because we sometimes talk... My dark horse in the best show ever question is Deadwood. But The Sopranos was able to reflect something about life being so serious and funny at the same time. Mm. Um, I feel that way about the question of talking to Kate because I do think particularly in this episode, the idea that a woman would be so ner- so nerve-wracked, so s- <laughs> in such severe anxiety that she can't talk on the phone after Melfi's been raped 
as a problem might feel a bit <laughs> boutique. However, I also feel like I swelled with an admiration for Melfi yeah. that she's keeping on. Mm-hmm. And it yeah. made me sad and, and worried in a way about women who, again, not that you would wish this on anybody, but women who go through trauma who don't have Jennifer's resolve. Mm-hmm. And what do they do? So it made me reflect on those serious things, even though the line makes me laugh. Skipping yeah. out a little bit, the behavioral therapy, or maybe this happened in the last, the scene before the incident, the behavioral therapy paper, Melfi hands That's Tony Soprano says, feel the fear and do it anyway. Mm. And she does this the entire episode. Yeah, mm. well, very well very good. Yep. And actually, not criticizing my great friends, Chris Jordan and Paul, that would have been my pull quote if I ran the Sopranos <laughs> podcast. Well, I don't do the pull quote, so I'm going to throw that at Paul. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to my pull quote. Yeah, 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 we'll talk about it. I, we'll get there, but that would have been, if it's Lily's Soprano po- Sopranos podcast, that would have been my title for it. Lily, could you give us the quote again, just for our edification feel the fear and do it anyway Mm. so we continue here a little funny moment with the maid why don't you announce it on wfan go go find some dust he tells her hilarious (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) i needed the laugh yes and the show the show knows we need these laughs correct yeah yeah yeah. i was wondering if she was going to steal more of their silverware (laughs) didn't she say in the first episode she steals stuff yeah Yeah. they have they have so much stuff they they don't miss it yeah yeah (laughs) Uh, so yeah, okay. So then this we get this this first of two scenes coming up with Richard and Melfi post rape, and we find out some really shitty news as they're waiting for the cops to call to identify this guy, Jesus Rossi. We find out that something got fouled up. The detective got moved. Somebody dropped, lost the evidence kit. This is rare, but it does happen from time to time where the, something legal gets fucked up. There's a technicality. There's something wrong with the arrest, somebody wasn't read their rights, some piece of evidence was mishandled, and unfortunately, we well, and fortunately, in the grander sense, it's good that we tend to err on the side of innocent over proven guilty, but we're in the position of knowing who this guy is and being in the thick of it, so this is a very unfortunate bit of business, we find out. The cops fucked this up royally, mm-hmm. and he's out. So this is horrible and perfect and perfectly horrible. Right, that this chain of custody thing should happen. And much like in uh, Boca, where Coach Hauser can't really be dealt with the typical way and requires like a special brand of justice, Mm. uh, it kind of opens the door for being like, well, who can deal with this? Mm. You know, where is the chain of custody never broken? Mm. (laughs) Right, (laughs) and it it leads us, of course, right to Tony's doorstep. And this great scene, you mentioned it earlier, Lily, but... I think Melfi's right on the nose when she talks about Richard's self-esteem being tied up in this. The whole fucking world is about your fucking self-esteem. Yeah. Mm. Not, not much more to add to that. Correct. I, she I, slashes the air Yeah. in this scene in a great moment. There's something with hands. And I, wrote, uh, I wrote Lorraine Bracco and just put a heart in the scene because <laughs> it's just like um, she's so good. There's She's something with hands just burning the room down. It's great. Their impotence to actually uh, create an effect and, uh, yeah, this Ooh, scene yeah. is really tough. Um, it's weird, I think I mentioned to you guys, it's weird to even see Melfi uh, prostrate. Yeah. Because usually I'm seeing her with the poise and the cross legs. and the, mm-hmm. um, So, yeah, it is hard to see. It's brutal. I think, it, as Jordan said, it's perfectly horrible. And much like the trauma of the rape itself, it, it's furthering this humiliation and pushing Melfi to the point where 
I think when I first watched this, I don't know if I thought she was going to tell him, but certainly I wanted her to. Mm. So. Oh yeah. We we all want that. Yeah, that's our first thought when we when you find out we're onto the. I, th- I bet most of the audience is onto the idea before even Melfi considers it and realizes it from her dream. Like when we find out the chain of custody's fouled up, I bet most of the people in the audience are like, "Oh, go tell Tony. This will <laughs> this isn't a problem. This is great." I even <laughs> had the thought watching the episode because I'd sort of forgotten. Uh, I was like, maybe he'll find out incidentally, mm. right? It doesn't happen, yeah. but it's uh, you know you want it to. And he does other times. He right. finds like the car, her car trouble, and she mm-hmm. he fixes the car. He can't find out about this one. Mm-hmm. He stops stalking her now. Like, yeah. come on. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think after what happened with them in season one, he does respect oh, her boundaries. A absolutely. More, but but yeah, this yeah. is a moment where you really wish he wouldn't. <laughs> right. So we get this little scene in the back of the Bing. Again, uh, you know, not very. Uh, there's a lot of violence, and even I don't. I'm not equating what's happening here to violence necessarily, but uh, they're not speaking very kindly about Ginny Sack in the back of the Bing. And here's where we track another... <laughs> it's all part of it. ...men yeah. feeling better about themselves at the sake of women. Yeah. Uh, some very heavy men in this room, by the way, commenting on Ginny's weight. You know, Tony's no no spry, skinny fella. He's a very husky, burly guy. None uh, of them yeah. are in, like, I would say, tip-top shape. <laughs> right? Like, well, you know... Gigi looks pretty stocky but yeah sure but I know right but what I'm saying is none like of them Silvio are, are, isn't going to go into a bodybuilding yeah none of them contest. are going to be in Mr. Mr. Universe yeah. Furio's <laughs> the closest and he yeah, likes Furio, a woman listen, that you can grab onto yeah, Furio. And, and, Fu- and Furio's on the right side here right yeah, yeah, yeah. so <laughs> that dude can get it yeah Allow me to fan myself. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to fan myself. Well, it's, it's, it is actually just hot in here. Uh, that's not, that's not, but also to do with Furio Junta. Uh, but they're, to, they're making these jokes that are, uh, you know, they're funny, typical fat jokes that, you you know, we've all heard in some manner. There's There's been, you know, there's jokes like this, you know, someone's so fat this, someone's so fat. It's a classic genre of joke. And they're all just going back and forth, making each other laugh. And... As Gigi's saying, you know, two guys could fuck her at the same time and still never meet. Whoop! In comes one of Tony's fears realized. Whoop! Just wanders right into the bing. Who? What? They are able to write it off as, oh, it's just one of the girls, you know. They're a strip club, thankfully. And Johnny directs their attention to the television. There's a Riverfront Esplanade project. We're going to put a pin in this for future uh, story purposes, but... They're all kind of like, you know, t- we, we saw Tony talking with the assemblyman who's setting this up and yeah, a couple episodes big ago. Big potential for a lot of money for them. Yeah, a lot of contracts here. Yep. State Shot money. Of, uh, some ducks by mm-hmm. the uh, New York waterfront. Oh, yep. good catch. There's going to be a museum of science and trucking. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Right over the Passaic River there. Uh, so, good for Zellman. Uh, Paulie mentions he's worth every cent of his cut, and uh, they kind of clink glasses. This is going to make a lot of money for the people in this room. So... Good for all of them. We get this scene with Melfi and Richard. He kind of apologizes and he expresses his feeling kind of impotent and helpless to do anything here. And we get that, so, as you, you keep mentioning, this motif of hands, idle hands, impotent hands, uh, you know, uh, unharmful hands. Right. Uh, the, clenched in, you know, we get these... The camera wants you to see these. I yeah, mean, he's like clenching. It's a shot dedicated yeah, to it. Yeah, exactly. He clenches them, unclenches them, they sort of fall flat, cut right to Tony wielding an axe Shh. right above our head. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah, he can do something about it. Absolutely. <laughs> so, yeah, the show, is, the show is peppering right. this in. 
And uh, for the first time since episode one, we're in episode four now in a 13 episode season. We're at that's about the a little bit before the quarter mark, one quarter mark. And um, (laughs) this is the first time the FBI is getting even anything remotely close to relevant to criminal activity conversation in the basement. (laughs) The wiretap, he pulls uh, Chris down there. They're talking about Jackie. Chris is uh, Tony's admonishing him about involving Jackie in that uh, job in the previous episode. They call him, Chris is a little like, oh, so the life's good enough for me, but not little Lord fuck pants. <laughs> and Tony's... Uh, I'm not sure that is a moniker. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love that the FBI is just so inept there trying to figure out what that means. Jackie did fuck up his pants during the job. Yeah, he pissed himself. Yeah. Yep. Which, again, more, another, we, we, this is something we've seen on The Sopranos. I'm not sure I've seen it anywhere else, but it must be a thing. You, you shit, you, Sean would shit on the job. When they would go cracking safes in season two, he'd take a dump. Jackie pissing himself in the car. I can almost get that one. I guess it's an adrenaline thing. Yeah. Right? yeah. Yeah. Like Tony, I think it's also a sign that, like Tony says to Chris, he's not suited to it. And yeah, I don't think he is suited to it. He's got an attitude. He's got a chip on his shoulder. But he's pissing himself as a getaway man. I mean, what's going to happen if he has to do something even more dangerous? Sure. So... Melfi has her first day back. That shot where she's looking at the stairs on her first day back with the cane. Brutal shot. Mm-hmm. Uh, just awful. She has, And she has to slowly, step by step, climb right over it to get Wearing into the office. Wearing all black with a white scarf. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, she gets in there. That's when she mentions these, she gives yes. these brochures. The title leaves something to be desired. And the cane falls. It startles her. Oof. Oh, brutal, heartbreaking moment there. Maybe you came back to work too soon. Uh, she mentions, again, the behavioral therapy. Tony gives this spiel about that's what's wrong with the world. You, can, you know, you're minding your own business. Some fucking asshole crashes into you. He's yeah, no fucking kidding. Yeah, he doesn't know how right he is. And uh, they have this philosophical debate. It's, it's it, again, like you said, it's it's the spiritual cousin to Boca. It's, it's a continuation of that discussion. What do you do? Tony's like, well, you direct your anger to people who deserve it. And Melfi says, and then what? Lose control? This is why you're having anxiety attacks, she basically implies. But we can see what's interesting about this go around is we can see her struggling with it. This is the first time. First time she's given him the business. This time she's almost convincing herself of this, right? That's why this is different. Then Tony asks, you know, how, how do you get people to do what you want? That's our pull quote for the episode. Did you want to talk about Let's talk about this scene, that quote, and how this all is shaping up Melfi's first day back on the job. Well, I mean, this is a central scene where Tony's getting a bit frustrated and she's, as you mentioned, Chris, obviously struggling with the heat of all this and coming back to work. And it's a nice cut, as often is the case when they cut at the end of a soprano scene on a question uh, because it's a different way to build tension. Uh, I chose the quote for a couple of reasons. One is that it's an insight into Tony's insights and what he thinks about therapy and what his associations are and what that will mean because ostensibly we're still in this show to see if Tony can get better and if Melfi can really help him. So the questions that he's asking are going to be part of that. The other answer is is that the question is and how do you get people to do what you want and one of the answers is force. Mm. That's thematically very important here. Mm. Well said, buddy. Yeah. So then we get this scene at the Soprano house. Jackie's there. He starts talking business. I heard you pass Ralphie over. Tony immediately, like, the son of your fucking concern. 
Meadow shows up. Both of them kind of beam up at each other. Meadow seems very happy to see Jackie. Hey, Jackie. Big smile, hug. She's still doing her laundry here. Well, not a hug, a kiss on the cheek. Kiss on the cheek. There you go. Very, very well. Thank you. Thank you for correcting me. Mm, important. Um, Big difference. No, you're, you're correct. <laughs> she, uh, even though she's here doing their laundry and accepts the free brajol delivery, she's uh, looking <laughs> forward to total independence after you give me 200 more dollars. So everybody's a piece of shit in this Meadow, Noah, Tony situation. Everybody just sucks. <laughs> and uh, they kind of fight about it. That, that cut, I have to laugh. That little shot we get of Jackie reacting when uh, he, Tony's talking about her and Noah on the couch, snuggled up with his shoes off, and she just kind of gives him this very snide, you know, African-Americans go to Columbia, Dad, and some of them are my friends, and he walks off, and <laughs> Jackie says this line, I have to laugh. Don't worry, Tony, I won't tell anyone about the Moulinon. Oh, my God. Tony's like, get out of here. I'll see you later. <laughs> this is a this is a mess of Tony's own making. Yes. Absolutely, one hundred percent. Meadow's always been a brat. She's always going to be sassy, right? Or or teeter the line between mm-hmm. sassy and bratty. But she wouldn't have done this if Tony had just listened to Carmela and not pushed the issue. Yeah. Uh, and Tony continues to double down on this Noah thing, and she's going to keep hanging out with that annoying person. At least for the Time rest of this episode. But she no. tells Jackie, you know, come out to the city sometime, we'll do sushi. Sorry. No, no, you're right. It's true. She tells Sim, come out to the city, we'll do sushi sometime. Tony's angry. So, just putting it out yeah. there, we have seen the gears turning. There's some interest between Meadow and Jackie Jr., right? Yeah. The track work is being laid there. Well, and Ralphie even mentions it when they're at the sushi. Oh, yeah. Meadow's turned into a quite a little mink. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is such a Ralphie Cifaretto word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone else would be a little piece, a piece of ass or something way more crass. Ralphie, mink. He's a little mink. Fucking Ralphie. Yeah, he's so a little He's a brand. Cute is a great, great yeah. word for him. Cut to the next episode you have me on. <laughs> Not yes. as cute. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we can't wait. Next scene is where we get our title, the, where they got the title of the actual episode. Melfi is getting lunch at some rap joint. When I first watched it, I, I remember vividly the first time I watched it, I saw the employees with the red hats. And I start thinking, is a red hat a symbol here? Like, what, what do they do? This is the second time we've seen her. Oh, that's why. He was wearing his fucking work hat. We see the employee of the month thing. Gut punch of a moment. Just it's just this asshole smiling. He looks so innocent and cheery. And this is the guy he's doing it. He must do a great job making raps uh, in between, you know, fucking raping people and stealing blackberries and going to Popeyes. Awful. Uh, and she just drops her drink and runs out as fast as she can on her cane. Important to that we just in a in the globalizing of the themes. It can be anybody mm-hmm. to commit yep. something like this, and um, and I know they it, can be praised at work, and they the can be yes. people we love, and we've seen that, and we've all been kind of forced to ask ourselves questions as the Me Too movement has mm-hmm. really unmasked some pretty terrible people. Can you imagine? I mean, this is. We see that we see conversation about this all the time. What effect it must have on a woman who's been raped or assaulted or even abused in some way, and then you see your abuser being celebrated, being honored, being awarded, being promoted, being elected. It's got to be rough. Justice Kavanaugh. 
I'm not saying what happened. I'm saying, let's say she, what she said is what really happened. And that's exactly what she's going through. This, she's watching the person who raped her as a kid become a Supreme Court justice. One of the highest titles of our country. Mm-hmm. So. Right. So the point being there that this is something very real and it happens on any scale in any walk of life. But that that's a gut punch to walk in and see the employee of the month. It, even just to evoke the feeling in her of seeing his face again. So she walks out, she runs out. And for the plot now, we have a name, we have a face, we know where he works, we have all the pieces yep. for the great revenge. Yeah. Let's hear about our great revenge. Oh, no, no, not going to do that. No. <laughs> Interesting episode to place Crazy. this in, but we have another act of violence against a woman here with a much different context. Janice is home doing horrible guitar work and... Um, Two big Russian goons break in. We don't want trouble. You give us a leg and we go. It gets a little... They start sparring back and forth. Motherfucker, do you know who my brother is? Mother what? Motherfuck... Bam! Backhands her flat onto her face. Uh, we find out in another scene yeah, or two... Yeah, presumably there was more violence after that. Yeah, supposedly she, she has the big mark on her face and a couple broken ribs, which... Not an insignificant injury. A broke Broken ribs are some of the most painful shit you can have. Uh, so, yeah, she next cut is her at a bowling alley locker. She must have rented out to store the leg. Uh, how can you people be so callous? Fuck you. You are callous. <laughs> Love that line. What do we make of this? And it, it's interesting placement in an episode about violence against women. Because I can't lie. It's, it's, it's weird in an episode where a beloved character gets raped and is the victim of a horrible act of violence. That part of me is like. Oh, man, Janice got slapped. All right. Well, I think that there's um, something to be said about what it means to be a victim and what it is to make your bed and lie in it. Mm -hmm. Right? And, And Melfi, clearly the former, and how she can come, you know, still go to work, still live her life as best she possibly can. And you've got Janice, who finds herself always the victim, always the one who's getting hit and you, but it's not that she's, I'm not saying she deserved to be hit for this, but she stole a woman's leg. I mean, like if anybody's going to deserve a little violence that isn't deadly, I don't know. I I agree. (laughs) Not that I like that Janice is being hit by these men, but uh, she she is the perpetrator of a crime. Correct. She has has stolen a woman's leg and with it that woman's dignity, right? So, not that that's a good thing, but she gets slapped around a little, we kind of just let it go. Well, it forces you to think of who's the bad guy in that situation. It's Janice. She's getting the revenge that we hope Jesus Rossi gets. Right. (laughs) Because Svetlana's the victim of that, not Janice. Right. And by the way, when Janice is in the hospital later, when Tony comes to see her, he actually makes mention, I now have to answer this. Yeah. Right? Because you're my sister. You got slapped around. So actually, further revenge will have to... This is a cycle. Yeah. Right? He's going to have to come back against the Russians again for hitting her. Yeah. That's another quality in the story that I think is a nice detail that we don't necessarily like or identify with Janice, certainly not in the way we do with Melfi. But as Tony points out, you're my sister. I have to get payback. It's non-negotiable. So it underlines how he's the one who has to do this in his own eyes. Mm-hmm. So it underlines how this would be the job for him mm. if Melfi were to tell him. Right. Yep. 
well said. We're seeing the apparatus at play that Melfi would be tapping into. You know, that's 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 the that that's the importance I think of this being here. Then we get this excellent dream sequence, very well lit, very well shot. What's cool about it, even more than the dream sequence, is watching Melfi figure it out, right? Work through it, talk through it, and uh, you know, you get the uh, New Jersey Gas Electric. Unlike Tony, she is an expert of dream interpretation, right? Yes. So she does a really nice job with her own dream. Can yeah. we take one step back and talk about their transition, though? Because you've got Janice literally laying in a mess of her own making, <laughs> cut to Melfi coming up with solutions. Mm. What do mm. I do next? How do I get out of that? Yeah. That's the difference. And that's mm. why these two intersect, these two parallel storylines in this episode is really extra fascinating. Mm-hmm. The dream is also super stylized. The lighting is very, it's pretty hot. There's I specifically a, made a note about the lighting. It's great. There's red, there's pink. The scenes, the waking life scenes in therapy are shot very differently. Even differently than the way they've been shot in the past. They're usually fairly warm, like maybe warm midday. Here is it seems like an overcast day. Flat, even. Shades of gray. Mm. Black, white, red, like the, the uniform. Yeah. Mm. So I think it's deliberately sober. Yeah. Um, and it, it's particularly effective in the last iteration. Yep. She put the elbow pasta in the machine, the dog, the Rottweiler, Rossi grabbing her, her hand gets stuck, the trap, the dog jumps on him, and then she's breaking it down with Elliot. She credits the machine for being a representation of feelings of guilt for putting herself in that position and... She had to work it out, but when she makes the realization that the dog, oh my God, descendant of the dog that the Romans used to guard their camps, who do I know that can rip this guy to shreds? And when that revelation comes that the dog was not some angry part of her psyche, but a representation of patient soprano, it's quite a quite a moment there, and and I think this is some of Melfi. The, the, this scene and the next scene we see Melfi in are. are the best acted moments for her in the episode, and mm-hmm. that's saying something in this episode. Could I just briefly talk about when she actually wakes up from the dream? Yeah. Um, there's a moment, she comes out of it, she see, she looks over, Richard is sleeping next to her, literally With blinded, blinders on. Masked, um, sleeping. And again, another moment with these hands reaching out. She reaches out as if to wake him. Maybe she's going to tell him about it. Reconsiders. Mm. She's pulling away. And is she also pulling away from this idea, as Lily mentioned, that all these men are going to tell her what to do, but at the end she's going to figure more out on her own. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't want to spoil anything about where things are or not going with Richard, but I did get the sense watching this isolated that she was pulling away. Mm-hmm. And she mentions, I'm not going to break the social compact, but there's, I'm not going to lie and say there's not a certain satisfaction in knowing that I could have that employee of the month cocksucker squash like a bug if I wanted. And the social compact is the title of our episode today because it's kind of like, what is our social compact worth, mm. right, if there is no justice there? I, I, I so appreciate that she comes to this decision herself, but I, I looked into Lorraine Bracco's eyes, into Jennifer Melfi's eyes, as she is bitterly saying that she will not break the social compact but man as the viewer you're like i really want you to because what is this social compact that we live under if we must endure such injustice uh, i suppose the, the the bomb on that is that it, she's in control of that right 
that, that she has the say whether or not she will or will not break the social compact, but I hate that she's obligated to preserve it. Oof. Correct. I agree wholeheartedly, and that's really where the gut punch of the whole episode comes from, and we'll expand on that in just a minute, but quickly, the scene with Janice in the hospital is ridiculous uh, in a good way. Janice is on and on, droning on. God, this is yet another iteration of some kind of scam to come. This is the, you know, Tony says we've been here before with the Vishnu and Richard fucking Alpert and the Coyote Spirit, and it all spells one thing, trouble. All this soul-searching, it's on my dime. She's just going on and on. This is it. This is the bottom for me. The doctor just comes in very unceremoniously. He says, you can go. (laughs) Gets them out of there. Get Johnny's housewarming. It's a beautiful house. We find out Ralphie is obsessed with Gladiator. He gives that our actions as eternity will, our actions as men will ripple through eternity, quote from Gladiator. Property taxes, you got to pay those. A lot of very funny lines here. It's a great piece of property he's bought here. This is a beautiful fucking house. And uh, we're cut off from this scene. Just a little little harbinger of what's to come, perhaps, but also a confirmation that Tony's fears are not unfounded, even though he likes Johnny Sack. The last shot we get is Tony giving a very concerned look at Ralphie and Johnny over by the bar. And this is exactly what Tony might have been afraid of is now he's got a disgruntled guy talking with someone who is encroaching. Exactly. Great storytelling. You don't need much. There's no dialogue there. Mm-hmm. It's just that look. And just we a know glance. There's something. We're pointing to something here and it's moving forward. This is now a series of runners, mm-hmm. um, storylines that are going to keep going. Uh, stuff with Meadow, stuff with Jackie Jr., problems with an employee, yeah. Ralphie, and mm-hmm. this question with Johnny Sack. And then we get this last scene. Melfi's without her cane. Tony brought a notebook. He made his list. It's actually kind of sweet and touching that he felt moved. I think probably more out of care for her than actual interest in doing the work. He felt like he was doing it for her probably. And he's considering going to the behaviorist. And she, she in a, in a abrupt turn, says no. She's going to honor the social compact, as she says, and I think you so beautifully worded it, Jordan, that it's a shame that she has to, and we want her to. But she takes her power from this because she could, and she makes the decision, and I think that's ultimately the point, is that she's able to make the decision herself to not do this. Now, she still wants her guard dog there. There's a certain comfort. She wants that comfort of knowing it's an option, which I think makes it very interesting. She doesn't let him go. She suddenly, no, 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 on the behaviorist. I'm, she doesn't want to send him away. She breaks down crying. She opens her mouth. It's almost out there. Such good acting here. God, Lorraine, Bracco, fuck. And she almost spills it. She starts crying. Tony runs over, very protective. This is a very touching moment. She tells him to sit back down, yeah. very dog-like, yes. by the way. Go, yeah. Go, yeah, sit, exactly. Sit, yes, sit. exactly. He says, there's something you want to say, and we get this this heartaching, heartbreaking shot of her face as she's going through all the machinations in her head and, and very resolutely says no. Cut to black. Gets me every time. I'm emotional thinking about it. But you know what? She's the strongest character in the show. She's, she's tougher than all of these men that tried to speak for her or could have done something about this because she made a decision that even us as the audience may not have made in in her shoes. Yeah, uh, she fights for her soul and she wins. And that's why 
going back to our conversation earlier, I think it was important to show the rape and all in its totality and its brutality because this is about her. This is about who Melfi is at her core. And when the chips are down, it's been very easy to take a moral position as the doctor who's been sheltered from the evils of the world to an extent compared to the other characters in the show. But when the chips are down and the brutality is inflicted on her, one of the worst things that can happen to a human being, she still holds strong. And that is who Melfi is. And that's who we're dealing with. And it's powerful. And it's good drama. And I can't say enough good about this episode, the way this story was told. So yeah, thoughts on this last scene and final thoughts on the episode in totality. I think, as you mentioned, Chris, there's something powerful about the way it all comes together. And the brutality of the rape is something that I had never, I don't think I've seen before in anything. And something brutal that I had never seen the likes of that on this show. I think my admiration for Melfi had also never gone to this place. Mm. It was already impressive. Yeah. She was already, I thought, an impressive human being. Of course. And here it goes to another place because I also, I think, as Jordan was saying, I hate that she has to, or feels that she has to, you know, preserve this social compact. But at the end, yeah, this is the only example of Omerta on the show that I respect. <sighs> Cuts to black, no music. So that's the way I feel about it. Jordan Lilly. Uh, by way of my final thoughts, I will just say I so admire Jennifer's resilience. It's really a beacon to look towards in the show, especially when you feel like the animals really are winning and taking over the world, to paraphrase uh, lines spoken in the episode. Uh, an episode I am unlikely to revisit, <laughs> but one I will never forget. And that's why you don't need to revisit it. It, it really cuts you deep. I guess my own... My only issue with the decision, though the alternative doesn't get justice either, is by saying no, what does Jesus Rossi do next? Yeah. It was so random. Do we hope that it happens again so he can get caught? I know that's not the point of the episode artistically, narratively, but for the sake of our conversation, it's worth talking about. Um, Jesus Rossi learned nothing from this. And we'll likely do that again. And that's not on Melfi at all. It's not, you know, ultimately had she said something, someone or many people would be dead, right? But it's hard not to go there as well of how women need to just take care of each other because it's very, um, it's very sad and very hard looking at the scenes with Richard, the son, all of that, how much they just don't get it. Yeah. You should have gone with somebody. Well, I shouldn't have been on the phone with you. Mm. You're not supposed to talk on the phone walking down the street because you're not alert, mm. right? So it's it's just, it's tough. It's a tough one, and I'm grateful for it. You know, it's, it's good to be uncomfortable. It's a ballsy episode. I mean, you tackle something like this, even in a show like this, it, it takes balls, it takes intelligence takes guile in the writer's room and, and to pull it off the way they did. I have a grandmother who is not into vulgar things. She, like, she'll watch a Scorsese movie and turn it off because of the language. I mentioned The Sopranos to her once years ago when I was watching it maybe for the first time even, and she mentioned the rape. She mentioned this episode, and even she was knocked out by how well this episode was done. So this is a woman who will turn off a movie if there's too many swear words, right? 
that always spoke volumes to me about how well done this was. And I can't give enough credit to the Sopranos writer's room for having the balls to do it and having the skill and emotional intelligence to do it right. So thank you to everyone involved. And I will end this note, uh, end this episode on a note that I ended our Pro Shia Labushka episode, which was another very heavy, dark, unpleasant episode all around, with just kind of a note for like, we're moving into the one-fourth mark on the season. What are we looking forward to? I'm looking forward to more Ralphie. Uh, I want to know more about this character the more we see him. This situation with Noah and Meadow and Tony seems to be ramping up and getting worse. Where's all this going? So there's a lot to look forward to here in Season 3. I'm loving where it's all going. It's very great, uh, intense drama. And I know that the next episode, Another Toothpick, is quite a nutty ride. So (laughs) I'm excited to get back and talk to it with my Sopranos podcast folks. I know we are planning to have Lily back for Episode 6 of this season, University. Uh, specifically because I want to couple it a little bit with what happened in this episode. We'll get into why when we're there. and um, But that's another one that I want to talk about with Lily especially. And I want to thank all of you for joining us. We're cooking on Season 3. We'll see you next time for another Toothpick. I'm Chris D'Amato. I'm Lily D'Amato. I'm Paul Mancini. And I'm Jordan Hugh. And we will see you next time.